today we are continuing on in the right fight series, that, that, that everyone is in a fight. Some of our fights are not the right fight. They're not the right way for us to spend our energy, our time, our attention, not the right place for us to be pouring ourselves into. But there is a fight that we should be engaged in. And there's a longing in our hearts to, to be victorious. And the thing that we're dreaming about, the thing that we're trying to move towards, we want to see victory in that area. We want to do well. But the problem is, I think that our preparation doesn't always match up with our expectation. Like, we expect to do great, but we expect to do great by doing very little to prepare. And I want to challenge us a little bit on just our, our mentality and our thinking about preparation today. And I want to start off and just with a, a little bit of a reminder, some of you guys might know the name John Wooden. Some of you guys may not. If you're a basketball fan, a college basketball fan, you'll know him because he was probably, and I'll just go there, the best coach of all time. And I say that because he has the most college championships in any sport. He, he led UCLA to 10 NCAA championships, which is unheard of. His record it's, it's something that's probably not going to be bested by anyone. And let me, let me make sure I get this right. He had four 30-0 seasons. Yeah, I, I mean, he was dominant. And he wrote a couple books talking about his experience and, and, and his mentality that helped his team. And when you go through the way that he coached, the way that he lived, I'm going to tell you, the thing that you see over and over is preparation, 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 a commitment to preparation. And he said this quote in, in his book that, that just has stuck with me through the years. I read this, I think, back in 2011 or 12, and it's just stuck in my mind. When opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. When opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. Because we all dream of that golden opportunity where we can be successful. But when you get to that point, especially in the realm of sports or basketball, if your opportunity to win the game as the buzzer is about to go off is to shoot a three-point, but you have not invested yourself into shooting a three-point shot, it's too late to get any better at that. And that opportunity is going to be there, and then it's going to be gone. And really, our success in any given situation is going to be a reflection of our preparation for that moment. And some of the things that I think are the most central to our heart, things that we would say are incredibly important to us, are often things that we don't try to train for or prepare for or try to get better at. And we just hope that it will go well. And, and I want I want this to be an encouragement to you today because the, the things that are close to your heart, you can see victory in them. God will strengthen his people as we honor him in the way that we live our life. But I don't want you to miss the importance of preparation and the way that God honors that when he sees it in his people. And so as you continue to move towards these God-given dreams, I, I, want, I want you to be thinking about preparation, thinking about training before you get to the point where you have the opportunity to see that come through. And our plans, the way that we've been preparing, I don't think they always move us towards our proposed purpose. And so we need to look and say, okay, what am I doing? How am I living? What am I going to do to actually make this successful? And I've seen this play out in my own life so many times. It's like I decide, okay, I'm going to go on a diet, and I'm going to get in shape, and I'm going to lose this weight, and I'm going to get healthy. And then, okay, what does your plan look like? Well, 
Uh, my plan is I'm going to sleep in as long as possible. I'm going to rush through getting ready for work. I'm not really going to eat breakfast. That might help the dieting thing. I'll just drink coffee. And then by the time I get to 11 o'clock, I'm so hungry, I don't even care about the donuts that I've eaten. And I, and I work through the day, work a little bit late, get home, and I haven't gone shopping for healthy food. I haven't made healthy food. And so when I get home, I'm tired. I'm worn out from the day. I'm hungry once again. And so now at this point, I don't really care what I eat. And so we just order pizza. I eat the pizza. And then I rinse and repeat. And I'm like, man, but I'm going to get healthy. Okay, well, what's your plan? Because you want to know, you know, specifically in the realm of dieting, if your plan is to get healthy, then what you have to do is you have to say, okay, on these times during these days of the weeks, I'm going to, I'm going to meal prep. And then I'm going to have stuff in the fridge so that when I get hungry, it's already ready for me. And I'm going to be disciplined about my times and where I have to be so that I can stay on my eating plan. And that's the difference between having you know, a hope and actually preparing for a goal. And the same thing that's true in the realm of dieting is true within our spiritual lives. It's true within the health of our marriage. It's true within the way that we raise our children and what we want to see them grow into. That we might hope that they do well, but unless we create a plan of action of how I'm going to instill these values into them. Unless we create a plan of action of how I'm going to spend time and when I'm going to spend time with them, other than us being in the same room and both looking at digital devices, I'm going to carve out and say, you know what, even though I'm tired, Tuesday night we're going to play board games. We're going to interact. We're going to laugh together. It's, I understand, we're busy, but you know what, we're going to commit Friday night Every other week, date night. We've been married 15 years. We still need that. The things that you value, you've got to create a plan of action. If there's something that's close to your heart that you're like, I just wish this was stronger, this was better in my life. T today, what I want to push you towards is the need for preparation. And within our faith, there is a need for us to be preparing, to be training is, is another way of saying it. We have to train in our faith. And I think that if you're here today, it's largely because you determined, I want to get stronger. I want to get closer in my relationship with God. I want to have this right. I want to seize this opportunity. And I want to tell you, it's great that you're here today. But, but beyond that, I, I know that you know your faith needs to be lived out more than just Sunday mornings. And so what is the action plan going to look like? How are you going to put this faith into practice on Monday morning? How am I going to be prepared for those moments when God brings them? And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, this is going to be where we're at today. We'll project this on the screen as I read it. And the Apostle Peter is writing, and he had just been giving some really heavy instructions. I mean, straightforward instructions in this chapter to husbands and wives about how to care for each other. He gives instructions about when you're going through suffering for Christ's sake, just rejoice about it. Don't worry about it. When other people call, call you names because of the way that you're living, don't worry about it. Uh, it's going to be okay. And he's going through pretty, pretty heavy things. And he's talking about these difficulties, these trials that we'll go through in relating with each other and dealing with the world. And then he gets to this part that's going to be our focus today. And he says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always, listen to this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And we're going to go through this kind of piece by piece, and we're going to start with, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Now, now this, is, this is the right starting point to, to engage in anything about the way that we live our life. Because we actually have to train our heart. I mean, the instruction in here is, he's saying, give your heart its opinion. In your heart, 
revere or sanctify or set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. And it's these instructions to begin to affect the way that we feel because we don't naturally have healthy hearts. In, in fact, Scripture tells us that, that the heart by, its, by itself is deceitful above all else. I mean, not a very romantic view of the heart, but a pretty accurate one. That, that on our own, our hearts will deceive us and lead us into saying, you know what, it's okay that you freaked out. It's okay that you're not doing that. It's okay that you're just focusing on yourself and you're just taking care of yourself and you're not being generous, you're not serving. Our heart will try to persuade us that it's just okay to live in the stagnant position that we've been in. But our heart doesn't get to be our guide. In fact, our heart needs to be something that we influence, that we allow scripture to influence and change. And, and the apostle Peter's writing here and he's saying, in your heart, Revere Christ as Lord. There's this focus that you need to drive within the way that you see your Savior. Heart health, you know, when we think of heart health, probably the first thing that we think of is aerobics, which is, you know, just a little bit, feels a little bit better than a heart attack, I think. But aerobics, not my favorite thing in the world. One piece of aerobics, not bad. Like jump, jumping rope, one time, not difficult. You know, Taking a jog that lasts one or two steps, that's easy enough to pull off. Aerobics are not tiring in short little tiny bursts. But the thing about aerobics, the whole point of it, it and the word itself means like, like, like airflow. Like it, it, the, the picture of the word is like sucking wind. In aerobics, it's this long process that, that can be tiring, but it leads to heart health. And I'll tell you what, in our faith, this concept of heart health, it's not about one decision that you made one time. It's not about one heavy lift, but it's about this long exercise of faith. And I want to call you into this, that to get yourself spiritually healthy, you've got to look beyond, well, I made a decision once at church. Because what that decision is supposed to do, it's supposed to change the direction that your life is now going to be moving. It's moving you into a marathon run. It's moving into a very long aerobic event that is designed to change the way that your heart has been feeling. And the decision point, it's crucially important. There needs to be a point where the way that your faith has lived out has been moved from other people brought me here, and I'm here because other people brought me here. It needs to be moved from that place to I'm here because Christ is the Lord of my heart. And, and this is so, so incredibly important because when you, <laughs> I understand so many of you guys, there's, there's, you're making good choices in your life because of positive peer pressure. And, and, and I'm glad that people are pushing you in the right direction, but that's only going to help you for so long. There needs to be a point where you take the reins of your life and you say, I understand, I want to live like this, I want to choose to live like this because of who Christ is to me, not because of who Christ is to my mom, to my dad, to my friend, to my group of friends. It, there needs to be something that's growing out of you, not just being attached to you. I mean, I, I'll laugh at this because I, I feel his pain, and I'm on my way to going bald, I think. But LeBron James was playing a basketball game, and there's this time where, like, his hair got smudged because it wasn't his hair. Like, he had the spray on hair. And, and his teammate was like, hey, dude, your hair's moving. And, like, on live TV, he's, like, trying to cover up where his fake hair was. We understand that's embarrassing to have something that should be growing from you just attached to you and fake. And in the same way, there's so many people who are in the church and around the church that these actions that they're taking, they're not coming from their heart. And it's an embarrassing when it gets figured out that this isn't something that you actually want, but it's just a show that you've been putting on. Not, and, and more important than the fact that it's embarrassing, it's uncomfortable. It makes you feel like you're living two different lives. And I don't want you to feel that way. 
I want to tell you, God doesn't want you to feel that way. And that's why when he talks about authentic worship, he always talks about it being part of the choice that they make. I mean, he had to correct his people, Israel, so many times. He said, you sing these songs and you do these sacrifices and your lips, they speak to me, but your hearts are far away. So I don't care about your songs. He actually goes as far as saying, I hate all your songs because you sing them to me, but your heart's not there. And so how's your heart health, first of all? When we talk about preparation of living out our faith, the starting point has to be, are you training your heart? Or are you just letting your heart pull you along where it thinks you should go? And, and it's the first, first area of preparation that I want you to think about. Am I training my heart? When, when, when I hear the name Jesus, like, like how does my heart respond to it? Because this is named to set apart in my heart. I think about the fact that when I hear my wife's name, when I hear the, the name Tia, my head always turns. And it's not because I think my name might be Tia. Like that's not why my attention shifts. It's because she's so close to my heart that if someone's talking about her or talking to her, I'm interested to know what's going on. Because when I think of Tia, I think of my wedding day. I, I think of my past and I think of my future. I think about my, my romance, my emotions. I think about our honeymoon. I think about our children. I think about all of those good things. I think of this is the person I want to be with more than anyone else. That's what I think about her because of how close she is to my heart. I hear her name. My attention goes there. When I hear the name Jesus, my attention goes there because when I think of Jesus, I think about healing. I think about restoration. I think about new life. I think about becoming a new creation. I think about someone who is an ever-present help in time of need. I think of someone who walks with me daily. I, I don't think about obligation. I think about opportunity. That, that I've been given this blessing because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and the way that it has transformed me. And so the question, the starting point about preparing and moving forward in your life, one of the first things is when you think about Jesus, how does your heart react? Because if you think of a duty, an obligation, a person, an authority who, who just has rules for you, I want to tell you, you've got to start training your heart to see him for all that he is. Because when you begin to have that relationship where you say, the, the way that my life is lived is directed by the lordship of Christ, to revere Christ as Lord is to say, when what my heart wants moves contrary to what scripture calls me to do, I am going to determine, I'm going to tell my heart, well, Christ is Lord, and so that directs my behavior. Christ is Lord, so that directs my actions. And my heart might be pulling me towards any given thing, any, toward, any given sin, any given laziness, anything that I know this is not what God would want. When I meet that collision, what I want, what I need to have happen in my heart is to make the decision, Christ is Lord, and so this guides how I live. And so it's the starting point in the passage, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. It's a beautiful starting point. And I want to tell you, it starts with a decision, and maybe you've made that decision before in the past. Maybe you need to make it again today. That Christ is my Lord. That my heart will be his. And if my heart is his, then that needs to change the way my mind works, the way my actions work, the way my goals are. And I'm going to tell you, it has to change the way that we prepare for our life. There's things that we may not have thought about being important that have to be important. If Christ is our all in all, if Christ is our Lord, one of the things that, we, that, he, that Peter says that we have to do, if Christ is set apart in our heart, we have to be prepared to give, the, give an answer. 
when people ask about the hope that we have. I'm going to go back to the, to the passage, to the second part of it. It says, always, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Having a good response, it feels really good. And even, I'm going to tell you, having a good response, it can even feel good in situations where we know what we just did was not good. Like, we like having that quick, quip back answer, don't we? And I, I, I know you do because I'm going to share some with you, and, and your, your laugh will be a sign of guilt that, that you enjoy these things. And it's okay. I, these are the ones that I brought, so you, you know I enjoy them too, unfortunately. Um, just some famous responses. A, a reporter once asked, how many people work at the Vatican? He asked the Pope. And the Pope answered, how many people work at the Vatican? About half. About half of them do. It, it, it's great to have that, 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 that quick one back. And if you don't understand, so, someone will explain it to you later. Um, uh, Mon, um, John Montague, Montague said, said to uh, another politician named Wilkes, and this was back, back in England in like 1790, um, Sir, I, I do not know if you will die of the gallows or the pox. And that's what he said to him. And Wilkes responded to him, Well, that depends upon if I embrace your principles or your mistress. Boom! You think people have been clapping back just in the last 10 years? No, this has been going on for thousands of years. All right, um, Reverend Edward Everett Hale, when asked if he prays for the senator, senators, he says, no, I look at the senators and I pray for our country. <laughs> That's timely, isn't it? That's right. We, we choose our leaders so we can't just complain about them. La last one about the quick answer back, being ready to say something. This is one you might be familiar with. Lady Nancy Astor said to Winston Churchill, if you were my husband, I'd, poison, I'd put poison in your coffee. And he said, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. <laughs> it's great to be prepared with, with the right answer back. Um, but in our mind, we should be answering back differently than those people are. We shouldn't be looking to bury someone or embarrass someone with a quick answer. And in fact, so many times, especially in regards to our faith, when we think about talking about our faith, we think about trying to put someone else in their place, show them that they're wrong, show them that we're right. But I want to remind you guys that that's not the fight that we're called to be in. We're not in the fight to embarrass someone. We're actually, we're not in the fight to destroy someone. We're in the fight to heal someone, to see someone restored. And so even when someone is being hostile towards our faith, I want to encourage you that as that's happening and as they're trying to fight that out in their mind, in their heart, you don't have to be in that fight with them because your hope for them is not to embarrass them, it's to see them restored and healed. And, and so when we answer back, we, we want to be prepared to give an answer. And we often think that, you know, if I'm going to share about my faith and I need to be able to talk to them about how the Ma Masoretic texts match up with the Dead Sea Scrolls and how the Septuagint agrees with the translation and all of these things correspond to show us that the canon of Scripture is accurate and has been since the thousands of years and the authors. Like, we think that that's where we need to go. But I want to tell you that when you're in a conversation with your faith, really the most powerful thing and, and what most people are asking when they ask you about their faith, they're not even asking you to give an apologetics explanation of it. They're asking, does it work? And one of the best, most simple things that you can tell someone to give a defense for the hope that you have is to tell them what Jesus has done in your life, of how he's healed past hurts, of how he's strengthened your marriage, about how he's empowered you to keep living through difficult times. One of the things that have come out study after study, one of the things that draws people who are unchurched into the church the most when they're given an invitation is a simple statement, the church has been really good for our family. And that's what draws them in. It's not the over-the-top argument. It's just the testimony of this has been a benefit to us. 
But the thing is, I still think that you need to be prepared and you need to make a decision in your mind. How do I explain the hope that I have to somebody? How do I explain this relationship that I have with Jesus Christ? That if they were to ask me, why are you a Christian? How would the words flow out? And, and I don't want you to miss the intentionality of what Peter is writing to the church. He says, always be prepared. To be prepared. To already have thought through it. To already have, this is my answer. When, when I was prepping to plant a church, one of the things that we were instructed to do is I had to have a 30-second version of why we were planting a church, which is really hard to wrap up everything that a church is supposed to be, everything you've ever dreamed about a church, everything that you'd like to see happen and see God do in a city. Wrap that into 30 seconds. Not an easy thing. And you know, not, not that my, my explanation is perfect, but it, this is generally how it was. You know, I grew up in a household that, that went through divorce and difficulty. And when I became a Christian, God began to heal some things in my life that I didn't think could be healed. I didn't even know they were broken. And I believe that when there's an effective church in a city, it can help keep those situations from happening. I believe an effective church will come along single moms and help them through the difficult times. I believe a, single, I believe a good church in a city will impact families forever. And so we're planting another church in Cape Coral to help people and help families. And, and that, that, that was my 30-second pitch. Whether um, you know, it was the best one or not, I know that it, that it connected with some people's hearts, and that that's what God has been doing through the church. And your 30-second your explanation of why you have a hope in Christ, it doesn't have to answer everyone's question. They don't even have to like it. They don't even have to agree with it. You don't, you don't have to argue with them about it. All you have to do is say, this is my case. And I believe that that, that, that statement, and I'm, I understand and I agree, there are times where the Holy Spirit will give you words in a moment, and you, you weren't expecting those, you weren't expecting to be able to quote those scriptures, and that's amazing, that's powerful. I've experienced that many times. But the thing that you should have in your pocket is that I've sat down in my time with God, and I figured out this is how I would explain my faith. I've prepared it. And I believe that God honors preparation. I believe that God honors hard work. I believe that God honors the time that we set aside to him to prepare. And then when we get put into the moment where we have the opportunity to share, and now it's too late to prepare, we have the opportunity to honor him with what we've prepared. And so one of the things from this message that I'd like to challenge you about this week is spend some time with God this week and just figure out, how would I explain my, my hope in Christ to someone in 30 seconds? How, how would I prepare my mind? And, th and this is the, the second point, is we have to train our mind. We have to train our mind to be ready to share about the hope that we have. We, we have to study, we have to contemplate, and we have to articulate this faith because people need to hear in a way that they will understand. And I, I get it. I'm a pastor and I get tripped up over my own words sometimes when I want to share with somebody. But the times that I've dedicated to God to prepare, I know that he uses those and he uses them for the benefit of other people and the benefit of my faith. And in the passage, it's really interesting to me, I, I, I would expect both of these statements from Peter. The Apostle Peter, if you study him in Scripture, you, you understand, like, you know, your heart's got to be all in. Like, he was an all-in guy. Like, jump out of the boat, walk on the water towards Jesus. Like, he is all or nothing. Like, that, that's how he lived, unless he was scared and running for his life. But even after that, man, he was all the way to the death, and, and he honored God through that. I understand those two statements. But the last statement that comes from Peter in this passage, is really a curious one if, if you're familiar with his character, because the last thing that he says in this passage is, but do this with gentleness and respect. 
wait a minute, who wrote that last part? Like, who, who snuck that? Like, Peter, like, aren't you the guy who, in the Gospel of John, like, 18, like, you, you tried to take somebody's head off with a sword? Like, I mean, literally hit, hit him in the ear and, and took his ear off, like, tried to kill someone? Like, that doesn't sound very gentle or respectful. Or how about in, in the Gospel of Matthew, when you grabbed Jesus and Scripture says you started to rebuke him? <laughs> not a good plan. You're not going to correct the Son of God. Like, he's not confused. You're confused. Like, that, that's not a very gentle thing to do in front of all the other disciples. I mean, Peter, time and time again, when, when he was correcting um, the, the Pharisees and said, you know, this Jesus that you guys put to death, not the most gentle way to say it. What, what we have in this passage, and as the Apostle Peter is writing and is further in his ministry, what we have is a matured and older Apostle Peter. And I would guess and I would venture, and I feel pretty safe about this, I'm sure that he saw opportunities that he looked back on and said, I did not quite say that the right way. I did not quite approach that in the right way. And so what he's trying to give the church and the young leaders in the church is a better perspective than the one that he lived through. Can you hear that? Can you apply that to yourself as you listen to other people that, that when you see people's mistakes, you understand, okay, they made those mistakes and they're choosing something different now? Maybe I should just save myself the, the, the problems of living their mistakes and listen to them. The Apostle Peter's writing and saying, you should operate with gentleness and respect. This should be a guiding principle for how we deal with politics. Can I say that again to you? When we reason with people, when we argue with people, the default position of someone who reveres Christ as Lord no matter, and, and it's in the chapter, go to 1 Peter chapter 3 and read about it. When people call you names, when, when you experience suffering, when, when people attack you, doesn't matter. Honor God anyway. And then he flows into and do it with gentleness and respect. He doesn't quantify if they deserve respect. But he says, let your testimony be carried by gentleness and respect. Be the grown-up in the room. Let the toddlers act like toddlers, but you continue to act like the adult. And so not only do we need to train our heart, we need to train our mind, we need to train our attitude. Because the way that our attitude wants to react in any given situation does not mean it's the right way for our attitude to act. And we recognize that when we allow our attitude to, to run a little bit wild, when we you know, have the additive of attitude into any other situation, it can get spicy quick. You know, a traffic stop plus your bad attitude can turn into you know, a little trip to, to the jail for a little bit. It can, it can turn into twice as many tickets. Uh, your, your attitude injected into a disagreement with your spouse can end into a major explosion. Your child's attitude as you correct them, right, it can turn into a major time of being grounded. We recognize attitude will change a situation. Attitude will also derail your testimony and your opportunity to impact someone else on what matters much more than who is the president of this country for the next four years. If their soul is eternal, if their worth goes beyond their political affiliation, then why would we let that become something that we're just going to cut them off because they feel this way? Don't miss it. And in fact, prepare for it. Mentally prepare for it. As we approach this election season and the ads increase and they drive us nuts and they become deeper and deeper in the throwing of mud, go ahead and have prepared your, your heart, your mind, your attitude 
that Christ is the Lord of this person. And so therefore, he's the Lord of how I speak and what I speak. And you know it'll help your relationships with other people. You know it'll help your marriage if you bring your attitude under Christ's lordship. You know it'll help the way that you parent. You know that it'll help the way that you're a spouse. But once again, I don't think that this is something that we correct in the heat of battle, is it? Like when, when, we're, we're, when we're in an argument, it's not the right time to be like, you know what, this month I'm, I'm going to start preparing my attitude. But if we walk into those situations saying like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop, I'm going to be intentional about this band. If you guys make your way up, I'm going to wrap this thing up. I, I just think there's so many beautiful moments that we miss because we, we don't recognize the moment that we're in. And this was something that when I was driving my kids to school this last week, my kids go to Diplomat Elementary, and I want to tell you, for the last couple of years, Diplomat Elementary's line was just like a, a bomb waiting to explode of parental anger because it was so difficult to navigate through. And they changed it this year, and it's a lot better. They did a great job, I think. But there are still, and this last week, there was a morning where as we're driving and there was one person who's like, I don't have time for this, and is like trying to cut in line and like acting crazy and doing hand signals at people. And we're, we're sitting there, and there's one spot that we go by, and we, we always see burrowing owls, which are a Cape Coral thing. If you're watching online, you'll have to look that up. We always see this family of burrowing owls. And I'm sitting there, and my kids are just like, once again, every day, it's like a brand new thing. Oh, they're so amazing, like just watching them. And, and it was just one of those moments where like God pushed on my heart and just took me out of the situation for a minute because initially I was like, I understand you, lady. Like, I want to get out of here too. Like, I can't wait to get to my next thing. But God kind of just pushed on my heart as my kids were, you know, looking at the owls and I was like, man, I wonder how many people go through this line and don't even notice those amazing little critters whose heads like spin like tops. Like, they're, they're so funny to look at. Um, I wonder how many people just miss this and they miss the wonder in their kids' eyes as they watch them. There's so many things that we allow to feel mundane that are, that are incredible blessings and special. And I know, I know if I just stop myself, I recognize that these years with my kids, 20 years down the road, I would give everything I, I could to just come back to this moment where I'm sitting with them in the car, car line before school. I know these moments matter, but I live like I'm just in a race to get to the next one. And that's true in the life of my kids. It's true in my spiritual life. It's true in my work life. It, that if I am just living to get to the next thing, I miss the beauty of this moment. I miss the opportunity of this moment. And so I'm trying to train myself that when I'm in a line, man, I'm just gonna soak up that time with my kids. When I'm at work, I'm just gonna thank God that I have the opportunity to use the gifts that he's given me to his glory. When I'm, when I'm with my wife, like I, I'm gonna enjoy, I'm not gonna be thinking about work, I'm not gonna be anywhere else, but in that moment, when I'm in a place where I get to worship my heavenly father here on earth, I'm gonna recognize that there's a short window that I get to praise him in his absence before I enter his presence forever, and I'm gonna make the most of it. With my heart, my mind, my attitude, I'm gonna seize these moments, and I'm gonna prepare for the ones that are ahead in a way that will honor him. And so, in these three areas that we looked at today, as far as heart, mind, and attitude, I want to challenge you that this week you identify one of those areas that I'm going to get a little bit better in. In the way that my thoughts are going, in the way that I prepared to, to talk about my faith, in the way that my heart has been feeling, in, in the way that my attitude ha has been displayed to other people, pick one of those 
And I don't want it to be just like a diet plan where it's like, well, I'm just going to get skinnier because I'll eat better with no plan. No, I want you to set a time. I want you to pick 30 minutes during your lunch break a couple of days this week. And, and I, want, I want you to seek after your Heavenly Father in prayer, find something to study, find a resource to listen to, and actually look and say, okay, this is going to help my attitude. And I'm going to apply it. And you know, like, it's not even a question. You know, if I actually do that, it will actually help. If I actually study and think about how to have a better attitude, I know I'm going to catch myself as soon as my attitude starts to turn, and I'm going to do better. You know preparation will help. So the challenge is just simply this. Let's prepare to win. Let's prepare like there's a championship on the line that matters. Let's prepare like the soul of my neighbor matters. The witness that God speaks through me matters. Because I believe that when we prepare, we get to see a harvest. When we plant, we get to see something grow. Let's take a step this week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for those whose hearts you're stirring this up in. And in any of those areas where they have felt weak, I pray that they would feel strong because of your presence. And as we choose to obey you in action and not just thought, that we move to, to deeds and not just listening, I pray that we would just see your spirit at work in an even more powerful way so that it would build our confidence, it would build up our mind and our heart to continue to adjust things so that we can be the picture of Christ's hands and feet here in the city. And we thank you for the challenges, we thank you for the opportunities, and we thank you that we have the opportunity still today to prepare for what's ahead. So may we honor you in this moment as we prepare for those ahead. In Jesus' name.